Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Riz Test podcast. I'm Sadia Khabib. And I'm Shaf Chowdhury. And we are bringing to you a collaboration that we recently did with two amazing podcasters from Dramas Over Flowers. Yeah, Dramas Over Flowers. We've, we spoke to the amazing Anissa and Saya from the Dramas Over Flowers podcast. There's a third contributor, Paroma, who couldn't make it, unfortunately. Um, they're based all over the world, right? Yeah, so Paroma's in India. Anissa's at Duke University in the United States. And Saya's a Londoner. So we had a fantastic conversation with Anissa and uh, Saya. I think it's safe to say that they are absolutely K-drama fanatics. They're absolutely experts, not only in K-drama, but everything Korean, really. Uh, TV, film, the differences between the two, culture, the history. It was a really fascinating conversation and we could have gone for hours, really, couldn't we? Yeah, we could have done it. It really was. I really enjoyed talking to them. Um, and there was so, we covered so much and I learned so much about K-culture, K-drama, um, K-TV. And like you said, um, the whole idea of Muslims in Korea. Definitely. I think there's, a, there's definitely another conversation to be had. So what I really liked was how they, they educated us about all these different shows and a few of the, the shows that they mentioned and the films that they mentioned. I actually really want to see them. K-drama is actually a bigger deal than I previously thought. There are a lot of my friends who actually watch K-drama. Yeah, 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 mine too. K-drama, K-pop, K-culture. You know, there's a K-food shop as well on Oxford Road. Oxford Road in Manchester, right? Yep, yep, there's a K-food K shop. And I saw, I saw it in Angel, and I thought it was unique to Angel, but it's I think it's a chain because I've seen the same shop in Manchester. So clearly K-cultures hit UK in a big way. So without further ado, let's jump straight in. Hi everyone, I'm Anissa from Dramas Over Flowers. Hi everyone, I'm Saya, also from Dramas Over Flowers. And I'm Sadia from The Riz Test. And I'm Shaf from The Riz Test too. And we're doing a really special collaboration, which we're very excited about. Uh, Shaf and Sadia, could you please explain for our Dramas Over Flowers listeners briefly what The Riz Test is? So um, the risk test is essentially a way to measure how Muslims are represented in film and on television. Um, Shaf and I got very fed up of the way that Muslims are often represented negatively. So we got together and we decided to have, um, to collect data um, and to quantify and to crowdsource what's happening in film and television came up with five criteria. Well, we came up with a lot more criteria and we whittled it down to five. Um, and as it stands at the moment, it's become kind of a cultural standard. And a lot of people out there, a lot of film and TV fans are now referring to the risk test and using it as a standard to call out negative representation of Muslims in film and on TV. Shaf? No, that's absolutely true. I think that's, uh, it's, it, it, we were very much inspired by the Bechdel test, which we all know is uh, the way that women are represented in film and TV. And it being three simple criteria, we kind of drew a lot of inspiration from that. We ended up calling ourselves the Riz test based upon Riz Ahmed's now famous speech at the House of Commons going back a couple of years now. And, and, and that's very much it, really. It's kind of become, as Sadia said, it's kind of it's got a life of its own now. 
and people are referencing us in academic papers. It's been referenced in, in the media, in, in lots of articles, in The Guardian, in um, Al Jazeera, in Vice, in, in Yahoo, News. Yahoo News, and a, in a ton of different blogs. And it's through the risk test that we've met some incredibly, incredibly interesting people, such as your good selves. And for the risk test listeners, we'd l- risk test podcast listeners, we'd love to hear more about Dramas Over Flowers. Me and Saya are both, uh, like we met while writing for a Korean drama and recap and review website. And there's a third member to our podcast that couldn't make it today called Boroma. Um, and we just like really hit it off. And the two of them were, had been planning to do a podcast about Korean dramas. Um, and they very kindly invited me to join them. Um, and it's been really fun. And I just want to say it's such an honor to be doing this collaboration with both of you. Like you're, you're very modest. Um, but you are doing amazing work. Um, I was a little bit starstruck at first, so I'm really, really excited that we we're getting to talk about this. Oh gosh, you should have been intimidated at all. You guys are you guys are the professionals. Do you guys watch the same drama at the same time, or do you go off on your own, follow your own interests? We sometimes have stuff we watch together, uh, as in we are watching concurrently, and then other times we just we watch our own thing. Yeah, so whatever we were able to watch that month, um, sometimes I'm usually the one that watched like one thing because I have so much reading to do. I'm usually the one that watches too many because all I do is not sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and and again, just to Anissa's point, you know, we're we're incredibly honoured that that we're this this is really exciting to have this collaboration with you guys because what we really enjoyed most is meeting and speaking to some really interesting and um, talented people, and. What's interesting about Dramas Over Flowers is that it's the love of Korean drama that brought you together because you're based in the US, the UK and India, right? Yes, that's right. The internet is where you meet your people. It's, <laughs> <laughs> nerds will always find nerds of the same colour. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, first of all, I'm really interested to know what attracted you both to Korean drama in the first place. How did you even get into Korean drama? I kind of feel like there's two different questions there. One of them, like how you got into it is one question and what keeps you there, that's another question. Yeah. So for me, how I got into it is my sister dragged me kicking and screaming and she's like, we've kind of grown up on, you know, anime, manga, just generally sort of niche interests. And for her she's like the original nerd she she's the one seeking weird things out that nobody's ever heard of and just one summer she sat me down and she was like you're watching this with me and this was a drama called you're beautiful a 2009 drama it's a rom-com um and it was just like that was it you know after that I, I, I just didn't look back and the hilarious thing is that my sisters are like we knew you would be like this this is why we tried to save you from yourself and we didn't tell you about this sooner. They had actually colluded to keep it from me, which is, you know, clearly, you know, very insightful. So the next... Sorry, have you have you surpassed them now in your... Um, in oh, yeah, your... I'm... <laughs> I'm the one who, who went off and um, started writing for, you know, a, a big K-drama blog who decided to join um, subtitling groups and who is now um, a, a third of a K-drama podcast. So, yeah, I have somewhat surpassed them. 
but the other question of why you stay there and i think this ties a lot into sort of what you cover when like what brought you to the risk test is that western tv for a long time has been letting us down um especially as a muslim as an asian as a woman there are so many ways western media lets you down but particularly as a muslim um and not only for the content but also for the watchability um and i don't know like how many people relate to this but for example, I, I wouldn't watch so, uh, a lot of so 18 rated stuff, even 15 rated stuff. I'm like, I can't watch this. This is too haram for me. <laughs> but I want complex stories. And what Korean dramas do is it gives you those complex emotional stories, but it doesn't um, like uh, fill every minute with all the other stuff that you don't want. Yeah, I mean, at least on TV, it's very there's a very clear contrast between Korean TV and Korean movies where the Korean movies <clears throat> tend to be very explicit, ultra-violent. Um, I mean, you've probably noticed that like Korean horror thrillers are kind of the main export mm -hmm. in recent years um, in terms of Korean film. And they're the ones that get a lot of like international- And they're really critically acclaimed stuff. as well. Like the, yes, the, yes. Everyone thinks they're amazing. So, so um, Anissa, um, what about yourself? How did you get into Korean drama? So when I was in uh, my undergrad, um, I was very ill and I was living by myself. Um, and I was, I was dealing with like a long-term kind of chronic, very difficult illness. Um, and I, and I had, because of my brother, I had sort of gotten into like anime and manga and stuff. And so, um, I stumbled across this website where they had like live action drama adaptations of like manga of a manga that I was reading because I was looking for an anime um and, it, and they did, there wasn't an anime or there was one from the 90s which was like really bad and old and I couldn't find it um but there was a live action adaptation and this one was actually called uh Hana Yuri Dango um and it, it it's been made into like many versions all over East Asia there's like I think like two Taiwanese versions and like a, there's like a Thai version. I think there's even an Indian version. There's a Korean version that like took East Asia by storm. Um, so it's like literally kind of translates to boys over flowers, although there's like a, I don't know, there's like a pun, like a metaphorical sort of thing that doesn't get translated, but. The name of the podcast is uh, inspired by that drama, by the way. Yes, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, so, I just stumbled across that and I was like, here's this weird thing on the internet. So I watched a whole bunch of Japanese dramas and I ran out of Japanese dramas to watch. Um, and then I found that the top number one Korean drama or like the number one drama on the website that was always consistently number one for like months was this Korean drama called The First Shop of Coffee Prince. But I was always like, this is such a strange title. Like, why would you even watch this? But I had nothing else to watch. And I was like, okay, let me just click on this. Um, and it was so good and I was so addicted. Um, and I just never, I just enjoyed them so much for the reasons that Saya mentioned, but also I think um, I had kind of given up on TV at that point because A, because the way that the seasons are structured in American TV, I find like the first season is really good and interesting. Um, and then they just keep extending the story endlessly. Yeah. whereas. Korean dramas have like they have a set format that these primetime right. miniseries they're like 16 episodes or 20 episodes or you know in the rare case 24 and you know they have a beginning a, mid a middle and an end they're a complete story in one go yeah and even when there are 
<clears throat> you know, like second seasons, it's usually a complete second season that's its own story that's separate from the story of the first season. So you don't have this like the dragging and stretching and extending the story. And the other thing is just, I was tired of seeing like Islamophobic and racist representations of people like me. Um, and I didn't want to watch them anymore. And like in Korean dramas, maybe you don't see someone who looks like yourself, um, but it's also a culture that has a lot of things that I can relate to. And um, and I think one of the things that's nice about it is that even though like no society is perfect and no entertainment is perfect and it has its own things about it that can be like problematic or, you know, sort of sexist or whatever, but like, there are a lot of there are a lot of like really satisfying emotional arcs. There's a lot of really full emotional and um, like interesting sort of character stories for women. Women are usually the main characters. It's just a really different and and it's nice to see a show that's full of people of color. Like it's not something that you can see. Yeah. And I find that really interesting because one of the people who mentioned it also. Um, talked about the difference between um, cynicism versus earnestness in American TV versus, uh, or uh, Western TV in general versus Eastern TV is that with things like uh, K-dramas and other Asian dramas is that they have this um, absence of cynicism which characterizes them and earnestness whereas the virtue of Western TV is its cynicism and mm. also it's part of why The Good Doctor has become so popular which is you know uh, it's a remake of a Korean drama uh, mm. and it's been really popular in the US um, in the last couple of years and it's you know it's expanded into two seasons now I think or is it three? Um, two seasons yeah. So have you seen have you seen the um, Korean version? Yes. Part of it. And have you seen the have you seen the American version too? And which do you prefer? I haven't watched the American version yet. I was thinking about watching it and doing like a comparison, but also I had started school by then, so we have no time. <laughs> and yeah, what type? What genre do you tend to watch? Like, what is it? Rom coms? Is it horror? I like uh, much. I like um, like the rom coms and then the slice of life. Even the slice of life can be a little bit more not as upbeat, but I just like how it sort of portrays the small moments of life in a really significant way. Like when it's well done, I think Slice of Life could be really moving. Um, and then I'll go for the occasional like adventure story with like, or like time travel. Um, the Korean dramas have been getting more diverse in terms of genre. Like they've been getting into a lot more like sci-fi and like, uh, they also have a really strong tradition of historical dramas. I don't watch a ton of those, um, but once in a while I watch one of those. Can you tell us a little bit about how, like your reaction when you first saw a Muslim in a Korean drama? Were you expecting it? Were you surprised? How did you how did you respond to that? Um, I think the first time was this. It was it wasn't a romantic comedy. It was like a romance and sort of a story about a woman who was um, was dying of. No, it wasn't Protect the Boss. It was a uh, scent of a woman. So like, it's actually not an upbeat drama at all because the protagonist finds out that she's dying of cancer in the beginning. Um, but she's just living a really difficult and depressing life being stepped on by like her bosses. And just and so she just is like, whatever, I'm just going to quit and spend the last however much time I have left to just enjoy my life. And she falls in love. And But uh, with her job, there's like a particular guest that's coming from the US, I think. 
um, and he's like a famous pianist or something, and she has to take care of him basically. And one of the things that she has to take care of is like he's Muslim and she has to find halal chicken for him. Oh. <laughs> um, and she goes to this farm in like rural Korea, and she like find, and there's like this Pakistani man, and he's and they like she like helps him like chase the chicken down the yard, and it's so funny, <laughs> and it was so like. It wasn't offensive at all. It was like hilarious because like who doesn't know that uncle that's at the farm chasing the chickens <laughs> in the market? It was great. And then she like brings the chicken for him and she's like super respectful of him. And he's actually um like Korean. Like the actor who's playing was actually Korean. He's like, Yeah, I was adopted to the US when I was a baby and my family's Muslim. And he like has that Quran with him that like, you know, the classic looking Quran that like everybody has. Like the, the Medina must have. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she like looks at it and like the camera work is portraying it in a really beautiful kind of respectful oh, nice. way. Um, so I was like, oh, wow, this is unexpectedly really nice. So that was my first time seeing. And, and there have been like problematic portrayals since then, but that was my first. Um, can I just rewind a little bit to the first question that you asked, which is um, uh, what genre of drama do you like watching? I'm really glad you phrased it that way because you have a lot of times people treat K-drama as a genre and K-drama is not a genre. Like it's a category within which there are genres. So yes. thank you for making that distinction. It's, um, like, it's, like, it's like it's in Hollywood, like the genre of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we're all about not homogenizing at the risk test. We're all about recognizing yeah. diversity. What, what's that you said? <laughs> <laughs> like, Chef, as a, you said, I think, uh, previously that you're a statistician or programmer or something in that area? Yes, yes I'm, a com um, I'm a computer scientist. Okay, so computer scientist who likes numbers and statistics. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, as a social scientist, I'm really fascinated by how, like, how did you come up? with the criteria for the RIS test? I mean, that's like a lot of factors and you want them to be sort of comprehensive. Like, like I've designed test batteries myself, like using all of those various things. It's been a long time, so I don't remember the names. <laughs> As you can see, my degree was wasted. Um, but like, how, how do you come up with a criteria, like statistically speaking, that is very encompassing like that? Well, the interesting thing is that, um, I think this goes this 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 based testament to like how complementary Sadia's and my skills are really having Sadia's well having the collaboration of Sadia himself it, it works so well because when we first thought about the risk test as a project I for me it was well for both of us really it was all about well we need to this data set has never existed before it's just never existed there's been lots and lots of conversations in that you know, everyone has that same conversation of like, you know, talking about how poorly Muslims are represented in the film. And inversely, if a Muslim is represented well, Anissa mentioned earlier about how the Quran was portrayed in, 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 in the K-drama and that spoke to her and it was very important for her. We all, we all, say, we, all we, 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 we take note, we, we talk about it. And what we wanted to do is quantify these conversations so when Sadi and I first sat down and thought, well, what, how do we measure, how do we quantify it? We sat down and we created this Google Doc and it was, we had an insane amount of um, criteria. I think there's something, something between 50 and 70 criteria that we, we tried to list out every trope, but then every trope needed to be 
it, we needed to phrase it in a way that it was a yes or no. It was, a, it was like a Boolean one or a zero, or a yes or a no, because otherwise it gets too complex and it gets too nuanced too quickly. So we whittled 50 or 70 criteria down into three, three groups, three themes. And the themes were terror, culture, and gender. And we wanted to make sure that those three themes were represented in the, in, as, in, a, in, a, in the fewest criteria as possible. Because as, as we said earlier, the Bechdel test is three criteria. And the, mm. the, the elegance in that is its simplicity. And we, wanted to, we, we didn't want to create a, an academic project. It was, it was something for everyone to be involved with. And so that we, we, whittled it, we whittled it down to maybe 20 and then 10. And I was like, well, we need, we need three criteria. So I was like, that's too reductive. That's, and and it can be, we had a bit of a back and forth, which was really good. And we settled on these five criteria that we thought worked really well. And, um, and we always say that it, it allows us to build a data set which is going to be measurable and we can start tracking things, not only on a, does it pass criteria one, two, three, four, five, it, it works in a way that we're able to measure how films uh, have trended over the last hundred years or so in that, do we see more films failing in the terror theme um, in, the, in the last, since 9-11 than, we, than, than before 9-11 or before 9-11, is there a theme of, um, films failing on the gender theme or the culture theme so that's what it, the, the the data set that we've chosen it allows us to cut the data in in, in a ton of different ways and the the the, the risk test it hasn't it's not the finished article we, this is like a starting the conversation point and some of the the feedback that we have, we've had is that the risk test is wonderful but it doesn't allow for nuance and and we acknowledge that it doesn't allow for nuance because i don't think the conversation is nuanced just yet we the the conversation is still very much of is you know there's there's a muslim and they are a terrorist you know people aren't having conversations (laughs) so we we need something blunt to kind of bang people over the head with that this is this is a blunt metaphorically speaking speaking, of course (laughs) sorry to make that clarification like in social science, you call tests instruments. So it's literally a blunt yeah. instrument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I hope that answers your question. I think that's where we're at. But eventually what we'll want to do, I've got some really, I, 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 I've got plans as to writing data models and algorithms as to how we can, we can algorithmically track this from a script level. I want to scan in a whole script and I want to look at word analysis and correlation of words and correlation of themes and, and algorithmically do it so that we're not sat there watching films we can we can analyze a hundred we can analyze a thousand films in five minutes because why not why not (laughs) that is is so interesting just well i'm looking forward to this no just that's okay i appreciate appreciate that so um oh so tell me about your first experience of a muslim in k-drama and how you felt about all right (laughs) um again i'm gonna sort of go backwards from the question a bit because i feel like this this question is the end of uh like a a a bunch of bigger questions like i feel like it's um useful to ask also like who watches k-dramas like you know what is the audience of k-dramas um K-dramas are really, they're not just popular in Korea and East Asia, they are super popular in the Middle East, Turkey, like the number of uh, Turkish remakes of K-dramas, though, like Muslim majority countries really love K-dramas. Um, 
so like for example oftentimes you even find arabic subtitles for example they'll be um done sooner than english titles you've got people who um arab uh, arab speakers who are fluent in korean who are translating these more quickly than english speakers are which is that's you know crazy mm -hmm. um so if you kind of work backwards from that or forwards now I'm not actually, I can't remember what my first experience of a Muslim in a K-drama was. How big is it from a, um, a domestic perspective? And when it comes to specifically speaking about the representation of Muslims in K-drama, I mean, is there a, is there a history, is there an, a, a community of Muslims in Korea? I mean, is there a history of Islam in Korea? In terms of like far back history, um, in the Silk Road kind of era, there were a lot of merchants that would travel because, you know, right now you can't go overland to South Korea, but before South and North Korea were divided, you could actually go all the way from the Middle East um, all the way to the Korean Peninsula. Um, and there were a lot of uh, like Arab merchants and traders that went over there um, and would trade. And there was actually, um, I, I know at least one of the, they have like major um, historical clans that can trace their lineage all the way back to like, I don't know, like the 12th and a century. founding father. Yeah. Yes, like a fa and a founding father. And one of them is actually, um, he was an Arab who came, I think, from Syria or like what is currently Syria or Iraq or that area. Um, and they trace his lineage back. They trace their lineage back to him. Um, but but that sort of it. He changed his name to like a Korean sounding name, and so not everybody really knows that history. Um, but it's definitely there, and I would I have a book um, that actually talks about like cultural influences of Islamic culture on Korean culture. So it's definitely in the history. I don't know how much how many people nowadays are really aware of that history um, and th that Islam has had an impact on Korean culture. Um, and then more recently, you want to talk about the history that that you were that you had shared with me about the Korean War, Saya? Um, after the Korean War. Um, a lot of the troops who had come over um, to fight alongside Korean troops at that time um, remained and uh, the Turkish contingent was the second biggest among them and they numbered around 15,000. Oh, wow. um, so they stayed uh, and they set up, uh, you know, they set up their own tent mosques, which I find really interesting because so Korea has a culture of um, street bars, which are like covered tent areas. Um, so the idea that, you know, back in the 50s, you had Turkish troops who had tented areas which they used for praying. I, I find that so interesting. Um, those those troops were, they assimilated into Korean life, but they taught people about Islam, like they spread their beliefs. So um, in modern day Korea, a lot of the native Koreans who are Muslims now, that their uh, the Islam would have originated from there. So you've got a couple of generations, you'd be like, what, three, four generations down by now. Um, so that, I, I found that really interesting. But how come, so, sorry to interrupt, how come the soldiers ended up, how did they end up staying there? They just settled. I mean, after the war was over, they just settled um, a lot of they were welcomed. And, you know, there's these records of Koreans calling the uh, the Turkish soldiers their brothers, like they embraced them in a brotherly way. They had very positive feelings towards each other. So they saw each other in like a, a family way. They'd, you know, they'd fought alongside each other. And for Koreans, those kinds of bonds like brotherhood is a very important bond. 
so I can I can see how they would have been sort of totally embraced by the society at the time. Um, but the other thing that preceded that is that um, with Islam in Korea kind of dying out uh, post Silk Road, um, th during the uh, Choson era, which is, uh, Anissa, help me with the years here. 1910 is when it ended, um, but I can't remember the exact beginning date, but sometime in the 1300s, I think. Right, yeah, something like that. And, and they had isolationist policies in place um, to sort of cut off their contact. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty brutal, like they basically ousted the previous, um, and like the previous ruling dynasty and inserted themselves. So they weren't like super. <laughs> and they actually banned like uh, the practice of um, Islam and probably any other religion as well, but there was an active ban yes. in place, which did cause, um, eventually it caused um, Islam uh, and Korean Muslims to sort of die out, Islamic practice mm -hmm. to die out. And then it just got lost. So that modern reintroduction of Islam did come after the Korean war with the Turkish troops. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So it's interesting that how it was part of Korean um, life and then and then it kind of, it was it was kind of eradicated. And, and you know, is there is there a correlation between um, like modern day migration and, and, and what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> so in, in 2007, there was a Korean hostage crisis in Afghanistan um, and like 23 Korean missionaries were captured and held hostage by the by the Taliban. And so that kind of if you talk, I think um, there was an article that Zaya shared, which we'll, we'll we'll share with you that it was Muslims in Korea say that was kind of a turning point, like the police sort of guarded the front of the mosque so that people like it really rose like there was a rise of anti-Muslim sentiment at, at that time. Um, and there were Muslims at that time, right? In, and in these are more kind of post 9-11 things. Right, um, right. And you also have to understand that after the Korean War, like there has been very much a US imperial presence in South Korea and it has never really left. And so American foreign policy and ideas and their military presence is very wrapped up in a lot of the thing, the way that you know Korea's military works and how they see the world. I'm sure there's a big influence of American foreign policy on a lot of the things that happen in the Korean. Oh, and also, Chef and Sadia might not know about um, Koreans' um, mandatory. Um, what's it called? Um, oh, mandatory military service. service. Yeah. yeah, every um, adult Korean man is required to serve in the military because they're technically still at war with North Korea um, because they had an armistice, but they never actually ended the war. So. That's interesting. So when you when um, in modern day Korea, when when these things happen that influence the modern like the the daily like discourse on Muslims and and how Muslims are perceived, is it is it common knowledge or do people know the historical links that Korea has had with the the, the with, with Muslim traders? or the historical influence of, of Islam on Korea. Is that common knowledge or is that kind of hidden in books and enthusiasts? From what I understand, and obviously like we are not Korean, we didn't grow up there, um, we have not traveled to visit there, but from my, what I've, uh, you know, learned from like just research and talking to people and, and just, you know, through like my exposure to Korean media, I don't think that it's something that most Koreans really know about. Um, and I have noticed rhetoric in, you know, in like not as much in Korean dramas, but in like sort of nonfiction 
sort of broadcast television, there is a rhetoric of like, it's like Muslims are terrorists and that, like that is something that- That's just a global epidemic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So Misang is a, it, it translates to um, Incomplete Life and it's a TV drama that came out in 2014, which it's still my favorite TV show that I've ever seen um, in any language. Um, and it's basically just the story of this young kid who um, thought he was going to be a professional um, baduk player, which is like Korean, kind of like Korean chess. Um, and he spent his whole childhood and his youth sort of training and practicing. And then for certain reasons, that doesn't work out for him. Um, and he ends up having to enter the workforce without all of the educational and sort of um, like the resume, like sort of the things that most people need in order to get a job, like a decent job. And the job market in Korea is like extremely competitive um, and very stressful. Even if you do have like a degree from a decent school and, you know, good connections and all that. So, um, hell chosen. <laughs> yeah. So they, so he starts out as an intern at this company. Um, and it's basically the story of how he sort of makes a place for himself and all the hard times that he goes through. And, but this company that he works for is, is an international trading company. And some of their most major sort of contracts are with countries in like Jordan and, um, other places in the Middle East. Like there's one, one sort of storyline where they're talking to their, their, um, clients and they're like, well, it's Ramadan and, we have to, there are certain like things that they have to do because Ramadan and it's just like a very normal, like they don't make a big deal out of it. It's just a thing that is part of their work. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Um, and the thing that really struck me is that the opening scene um, is that this, this, and it's like one of those where like the opening scene shows you a scene and then you like go back Hold in it. time. Yeah. Yeah. And you go back to see like where this whole thing started. And that scene is actually from close to the end of the drama, but he's like running through the streets of Jordan, chasing a guy that like has, defaulted on something or that he needs to like and he's like trying to escape because he like conned them um and so he's just like running through the streets of jordan like jumping from like rooftop to rooftop <laughs> just like muslims all over and they're like what is this dude doing and it was just a really surprising and and cool thing to see it's probably the brightest scene as well the rest of it is really gloomy the rest of the show yes. so lighting yeah. wise. until they get to the end um and they go back to jordan and then you see this really beautiful um historical like petra and places petra? like that yeah yes yeah, yeah. I, I want to mention one part of that cold open, which has um, basically stuck with me all this time, even after I've forgotten the details of that drama. So um, the preceding thing um, to, uh, about the scene is that you have to understand that Korean society um, has a lot of bowing, like, you know, you, you bow as a form of respect to people. So, <laughs> and that can include, like, in some situations that will even go into, like, a full sujud, a full body prostration. So there's this really great part in that cold open where uh, the main character is running, like, for, you know, onto a, roof, a rooftop, and I think he ends up in somebody's flat. And <laughs> there's a, a mum, a, a woman, and like three little ducklings, like little kids, little girls, and they're all dressed up in, you know, the prayer suits with the, oh, like, yeah. the himar and the skirt. It is the funniest scene. And he's like, you know, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, Shalamida. He's like, I'm sorry for sort of cutting through your prayer. But the funniest part of that is that the three little ducklings, the little kids, they're doing sujood in one direction, and the adult, the mum, she's like, that they're like doing sujood to her and it's it's the funniest scene for how wrong it is and you have to be muslim to understand what's wrong with it 
it's just it's it's hilarious like you just know <laughs> but it's, it's, those, it's those little things that that muslims notice and and the fact that you're talking about it now is it pays testament so if it's if it's done well or if it's done in a, in a it was just funny. I burst out laughing. It wasn't offensive. It was just hilarious. It's like, you didn't do this right. So every, everything you've said there, it sounds like, you know, there's, there's the quite complex kind of depictions of Muslims, really. And as someone, as a, as a lay person to broadly Korean culture, to, you know, to, to my detriment, really, when I think of Korean cinema, I mean, things that come to mind are the really famous ones, like the, the Vengeance trilogy, you know, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, you know, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy. And so, so that's, that's what I see from, 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 from my perspective. But what you're telling me is that K-drama is, is different to that. Well, I mean, the, the film industry is very um, different from the TV industry because the film industry is very male-dominated. Um, and they, they do create really... Um, sort of there's a lot of super violent and very like high action sort of thrillers a lot of them are very explicit um in terms of like sexuality and like and like language and things like that um some people have said it's because there's so much censorship on tv i don't really have the knowledge to know why exactly that is um but in terms of tv like yes there are a lot of rules about what you're allowed to show on television especially public broadcast cable also has restrictions, but it's not quite as restricted. Um, like, for example, you can't show somebody smoking. Um, a lot of you can, times... You can show them holding a cigarette, but it can't be lit. Yeah. Um, a lot of times... And it would be blurred out. Yeah. If a lot of times, if a character is holding a knife and threatening somebody with it, that knife will be blurred out. Um, it's really weird. <laughs> um, there's no... There's a also lot of like, like corpses. If you know, if there's a wound or like a, a a stab wound of a corpse, you won't that yeah wound will be blurred out as well. So there is a certain amount of censorship. Yeah, and there are like certain channels. Like there's one cable channel, OCN, which is like notorious for being extremely having like very gritty and like dark and very gory sort of like crime shows. They're kind of the equivalent to HBO. Mm -hmm. Another thing that's different is that it's perceived as mostly a genre of, of television that is for women. Um, and, and most of the writers of Korean drama are also women. Um, and, you, and the stories often like prominently feature, if not as the main character, but as a co-lead, it will be a female character. And a lot of times it's like her story. And I think because it is considered lower prestige than, than, movie, um, than film, and it's considered something that's like women's entertainment, it is looked down on a little bit more as like housewife TV, but also at the same time, I think that provides a space for women to write stories that are complex and interesting and that like treat women as like real humans. And of course, also there is this power structure of like powerful male executives that still exist even in TV production. But I think there is more space for women to tell their stories in TV drama and I that's why I love them. So Do you much. have any representation of Muslim women in, in K-drama? So I was going to say rather than um, K-dramas which haven't really sort of got to that point in a consistent way yet you do have a lot going on in the sort of um, uh, variety slash documentary world um, because like variety shows are, are big for Korean audiences. They really enjoy them. They tend to be ratings hits because they air on the weekend. Um, and it's something that the whole family can watch together. So when you say variety, it's kind of like... Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, that kind of thing. 
they're like talk shows as well look there will be like a concept um and it for example okay there's one that recently has gotten indefinitely canceled because one of the men on there was like a piece of trash and he got exposed yeah but it was one of the most it was one of the most popular um tv shows it's called um one night in two days and i'm actually like i've been watching it i i really enjoyed it but it's basically like these six dudes and they travel all over um south korea and they go to different and it's like a travel show where they show you like you know the sites and the the food and everything but they also have like really fun chemistry with each other and there's a lot of and jokes. challenges and games. they have yeah they have like play games to see who's gonna get to eat dinner and who's not and who's gonna get to sleep inside and who has to sleep outside like things like that um and it's very very popular um and it has um, the interesting thing about this is like they have uploaded, well, now they've been all blocked, but they had uploaded all of their episodes onto um, their their YouTube for the for the, the network, like the network's own YouTube channel. And they were all subtitled into English um, and also I think Thai and maybe Chinese. Um, and they recently, like in recognition of the fact that they have such a huge international audience, I think maybe like six months ago, they had a special episode where they um asked people to apply and then um for each member they got three guests like international guests and they actually flew them over to korea from their home countries um and they had like a, an, a special episode where the guests got to come on and like play the games and go on these trips with them um and there were like three muslim guests um and one of them was a hijabi can you tell me why you two didn't apply for that <laughs> Yeah, I had found out about it later. It was too late for me. I was so sad. You need to apply for next year, both of you. <laughs> so that's really interesting. I didn't realize that you'd gone, you're, you two are such Korean files that you've gone beyond drama and you're actually watching variety shows. And I, I actually don't watch that. Yeah, I'm the one who watches variety. Ah, <laughs> so really, I just watch thrillers, okay? Leave me but alone. But the, 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 the three of you, including Paroma, you, you, you speak Korean, right? You're learning Korean as well. I am, and um, Saya is, yeah, yeah, it's varying degrees, yeah. All three of us are, like, trying to learn. That's amazing. Um, that is fascinating. That is absolutely amazing. <clears throat> I think one of the things that we um, we didn't mention, because we only mentioned positive representations of Muslims in Korean dramas, there have been some negative ones, too. Um, and the negative ones have actually, I feel like, been more recent. So it almost feels like it's getting worse. Um, which I guess is not surprising given the global I mean, in keeping with yeah, global trend of, of what's happening. Yeah. Do you want to talk about um, the K2? It was a couple of years ago. I want to say like 2016, something like that. You are right. It was 2016. Before I go to the K2, can I just quickly talk about the two other variety shows that I wanted to mention? Sure. Okay. Um, so uh, as well as One Night Two Days, there's um, a show called My Neighbor Charles, which also I think airs on the same channel. Um, and that showcases the experiences of foreigners living in Korea. Um, and it, there's a particular episode that I watched, which was about an Afghani family. Um, and they were, you know, not very well off. Um, the oldest daughter you know she did that thing that uh, a lot of us do who like second generation immigrants have is that your parents don't speak the language so you're the one who's kind of in charge of getting things mm -hmm. done and being the interface between your family and the the society the uh, korean society at large so um 
I, I found that a re it's on YouTube, so you can actually watch it. I found that uh, such an interesting insight into like the life of a practicing Muslim, like, you know, the whole family, the uh, girls or the women, they wore hijab. The mum was never on camera um, because she didn't want to be, which again, it's like, I can relate to that. I understand that. Um, and, and because they were quite poor as well. So what happened after this is that um, the public, there was like an up, outpouring of public support for them and they were sent, like people were sending in money. Um, but, you know, like the dad was disabled, I think he couldn't find work. And they were refugees from Afghanistan. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Um, so they do that and, and they, it's not just like Muslim uh, families that they focus on, like uh, I saw an episode um, also with an Iraqi family, also Muslim, but they also like, they just look at foreigners' um, experiences of living in Korea. Um, and among them are a lot of Muslim families with a varying degrees of um, religiosity. Yeah, and also like how much they fit in or how easy or difficult they find it. It varies from family mm. to family. Do you think there's a little bit of um, kind of, what's the word for it? Voyeurism? Yes, yeah. Is it a voyeuristic I don't lens? think so. I feel the oh, way man. that they treat it, the way that they present them and the way that they treat the, the members of the family is very sensitive and respectful. Yeah, I've watched a lot of episodes of this show and what I like about it, like you said, Saya, is that they're very respectful, but also they have footage of them that they've kind of followed them around during their daily lives and um, sort of, you know, just depicting the things that they go through, the difficulties, like there's this one family where the dad basically when he's out in the market, he like goes around and asks these like ladies who are selling food, like, do you have a, do you have a cardboard box that I can use? And he just like finds a corner and just prays in the corner. And they, you know, like those daily things that we all kind of have to go through where you're like figuring out how to make your salad and stuff. And, and, and then, but they also have the family come into the studio um, and they have like a panel of hosts and then they have the family and they just sit there and they like ask them questions and they interview them. So you do get to hear their voices about like what it's been like for them, what their story is, why they came to Korea, um, how people treat them um, for either like how difficult it's been to learn the language or like prejudices they face, things like that. So that's some a kind of compassionate insight via reality TV. But tell us more about dramas and in terms of negative rep negative representation of Muslims in drama. There are two that come to mind um, immediately as extremely negative. I'll go with the most recent first, which is, uh, it was a show called Man Who Dies to Live. Um, and the lead actor of that is, you know, pretty well-known, um, well-liked um, guy called Choi min Um And he plays the part of uh, a man who has left Korea uh, and gone to a fictional um country which is like in Dubai because you can tell it's Dubai because they film it but the country is called like Boduantia or something like a very Arab name as you can tell <laughs> it sounds like it's like in Eastern Europe you know so yeah <laughs> like why um so this uh, everything about the show I was just going through my folder of screen caps and remembering everything that was wrong with that first episode so what you had is this guy um, he's so loved and so lauded by the the people who are in this fictional country that they like made him the um, Amir or Sheikh or Prince or whatever it was um, and he got, got given this honorary Arab name um, 
and so and the funny thing is that this guy actually could pass for an arab so when he's all dressed up and uh, in in the cultural clothes of the middle east you wouldn't even know until he opened his mouth that he was korean but the way that that sequence played out so you had him in a giant mansion um where like all of these um muslim presenting actors as you know they were fake arabs they were everything was there to serve his him this a non-arab guy who is is kind of it was a play on the white savior trip except it was like the korean savior um, and then you had this bit with like two um bikini clad um very um voluptuous women who also by the way had a hijab wrapped around their heads in bikinis so i mean that was probably so the most ridiculous. obvious one that made everyone you, make the most did you get some cognitive dissonance when you saw that scene <laughs> Now I had a rage stroke. <laughs> and then it gets better. It just, it keeps getting better. Um, and then he's like invited by the local guy in charge of the fake country who is like, you must marry one of my three daughters. Or was it daughters or just some random women? I think and there, was like, there are three of them. And he was like, you have to marry one. And he had to have this guy marry one of his daughters or else. So, um, yeah, I think in some of the promo materials, he's also like sitting with his feet up on a table and the Quran is right there and it's just like oh, a prop, yeah. you know? Yeah, like so, everything I mean, was a prop. Together. Yeah. The women yeah. were props, the men serving him were props. The whole story was centered around this savior guy and he had to flee it all um, and go back to Korea because he didn't want it. See, that's how good he is. He doesn't want it. So it, the outcry was so um, intense against this that it pretty much it uh, got pulled within the day. Um, and this was available on a streaming service, which is um, uh, it distributes in Eastern Asia, like um, Singapore, um, is it Malaysia, Indonesia, those countries. So it's a streaming service uh, called VIEW or VIEW, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but they provide Korean content to uh, uh, Eastern Asia. I think oh, that's Southeast Asia. Asia, actually. The network apologized, but they continued to air the program in Korea. Right, it, yeah. yeah. And and they were just like, you know, we don't know what's wrong with this, but okay. We apologize anyway. What, what's interesting is that at least there's an acknowledgement as that it's problematic. I mean, it, mm. it, it, it may have continued to show the drama because of ratings or whatever it is, or commercial interests. But the fact that they apologised is 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 a huge deal because we don't get that. What we don't get that in the in the UK at the very least. I think you're giving them too much credit. Oh, right, okay. I, they genuinely they didn't re they didn't understand what the problem with it was, and the whole um, fake Arab setting was just a setting. It was a backdrop. It was just an excuse to kind of fall into that trap of orient Orientalism and other. Right. Yeah. But it sounds like they needed to read Edward Said basically. <laughs> it was Orientalism 101. It was totally... Yeah, everyone should read Edward Said. It's good for your soul. Okay, so like the, the English language response to that was really interesting because you had uh, this, uh, the, the English-speaking fandom. Um, you had the English-speaking, um, like the non-Western or non-white, um, I guess, uh, English speaking side of the fandom being like this is really problematic and then you had the other side which like this is just it's fiction it's made up it's fun don't take it so seriously 
So there was a bit of a war within the fandom as well um, about that show, which... Um, and, and you see that happen here, don't you, with shows like Bodyguard? There's, yeah, You exactly. have people saying this is just fun, you know, this is just entertainment. Yeah, no, nobody really believes that Muslim women are like this. But then you see the real life effects when Muslim women are abused and called Nadia at train stations and... Even if they don't overtly believe, and I'm doing quote marks, um, they internalize the message that you know the depiction that they're getting is being internalized. Exactly, and I think that's that's the that's the that's the really underlying point of everything, really, in terms of that th these dramas and these TV shows, wherever it is in the world, Hollywood, Bollywood, K dramas, all of those things, it, it permeates through society and it, people's opinions are formed through the arts and that's why we that's one of the reasons why we started the test and whatever so we, we see that in the uk as sadie just said on the back of bodyguard um there, there are examples of of muslim women being called nadia which is the name of the character in bodyguard on the train and it's a bit of a laugh but oh then God. really there's there's, there's there's muslim women who are, who are intimidated by groups of grown men who think it's just a laugh but really it's it's more more than that do you see that in in korea in in is that is that something that that exists in korea yeah i mean i, I wouldn't be able to say what the experience of muslim women on the street in korea is um but i like just going back very quickly to the variety shows there is one variety show where people just come on to this show and talk about like different problems that they have and then they try to resolve it or like they it's like it's called like um, hello counselor but there's one woman who came on there and she said like I'm a Korean woman with that wears hijab and like these are my struggles and people like uh, you know and people tell me I'm not Korean and they yeah, tell me they, wear that thing on my head yeah so she faces a lot of the similar kind of Islamophobia that we yeah. would face in our daily mm -hmm. lives so it's definitely something that Muslim women in Korea have to deal with it'd be interesting to see how k-drama developed and its depictions of Muslim women and Muslim men and Muslimness. So we definitely, I mean, it's been absolutely fascinating. It's been an education speaking to you both. Really hard. And I think we need to have, we need a part two because I want to chat, we want to chat to you so much more. <laughs> I think also, um, yes, and we've had such a nice, lovely time talking to you about this too. And like, sorry, we've just been like going on and on. I think um, Korea, South Korea is also going through a really interesting moment right now because the amount, I mean, they've historically been a mostly, or at least they've constructed themselves as being a very homogenous country um, without any immigration. And then in the last 20 or 30 years, um, there's been this really big influx of migration and it hasn't been from the West, it's been from other Asian countries. Mm -hmm. And especially in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of refugees seeking asylum. Um, and, and there are like, now there have been like naturalized Korean citizens for the first time of other ethnicities and they're really having to sort of grapple with this idea that they've had um, as part of their sort of nation building narrative of the blood of like being like I mean this they use this it's kind of gross but it's like having the blood of a Korean yeah. person like mm -hmm. as being part of being a Korean yeah. person um, and moving towards and I think there is a big effort from the government and uh, from certain like more educated aspects of the public who want to move towards a more multicultural society. Yeah. But then there's also this sort of nativist pushback yeah. um, that we're seeing all over the world. Yeah. And they're using the same kind of rhetoric, like they're going to take our jobs, yeah. like they're yeah. not, they can't integrate into our culture, like we don't want them. Yeah. And like, there was like an anti-refugee um, protest, just like I think last year in Seoul, and it was pretty big. So like there is, 
there's a lot, I mean, I, and I can't go into it all right now. I know we're, we're not, we're short on time, but I, it's a very interesting moment um, to see where they're going to go in terms of like how they will treat their immigrant community. As, as I said, we could, we could speak for hours on this, this topic. Um, if we were to hear more about Dramas Over Flowers and you personally on Twitter, how can we get a hold of you and how can we follow you? You can follow us on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. And you can also follow my own personal Twitter handle at Anissa Khalifa underscore Saya. And you can follow me at Not Now Saya. Yes, it is a reference to Not Now Bernard, our classic favorite children's book. And you can also <laughs> follow our third podcast co-host who is amazing, although she could not join us. Um, her name is Barama and you can follow her at Fester Faster. Also, please go watch me saying on Netflix. It's available. You can go see it right now. So you can follow me on Education Researcher. My handle is at educ underscore research. And you can also follow us, follow us on RizTest. Yeah, at the RizTest on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, myself, you can get me on Twitter at Shaftag, S-H-A-F-T-A-G. Okay. That's all from us. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone.